now in Jude 3 this morning. Jude verse 3. Brother Shepherd and I keep contact with each other during the week and a lot of times he'll send me a little note and said, boy, it was rich study today and God has been giving me a lot of truths I've been studying. We'll go back and forth. And I told him yesterday, I believe it was, that I was looking forward to teaching God's word. But I can't ever re- really remember a time when I'm not looking forward to teaching it. But I tell you, I love God's word. For the past couple of weeks, I've been telling you that Jude is a letter Filled with heavy doctrine. Doctrine that exposes and condemns false hypocrites. Religious people. Especially false Christian teachers. But before Jude gets into describing the false Christian people he is talking about. He first describes the true Christian people that he's talking to. As a wise apostle we looked at. The past couple of weeks, Jude didn't want to swing the sword of God's word carelessly and injure one of Christ's sheep while exposing the wolves that were among them. He didn't want these Christians to misunderstand and think that Jude was describing them as false Christians. So in the first two verses, Jude shored up the faith of the saints and assured them that they had been called and sanctified and preserved in Jesus Christ, that on account of their faith in Jesus, they were the objects of God's mercy and love, not the objects of God's wrath. And having shored up their faith, Jude now begins to sound the alarm about those who corrupt the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are in the midst of the church. He's going to blow the trumpet now to warn God's saints about the wolves in their midst, and they are in our midst today. But as he blows the trumpet, I want you to notice the first note in the trumpet sound. Look with me now in verse 3. It's the word, sit with me, beloved. Isn't that good? <laughs> beloved. The first note in Jude's alarm is the word beloved. And since God's warning begins with the word beloved, it lets us know that any time we study scary verses in the Bible, and there are scary verses in the Bible. There's scary verses here in the book of Jude. There's scary verses in the book of the Revelation. There's scary verses in Peter's epistles and Paul's epistles. And, uh, but any time we study scary verses in the Bible, the first word was beloved. The first word of the alarm was beloved. And the first thing that we need to know is who we are in Jesus Christ. You set out to study God's word. You better know who you are in Christ when you dip your feet in that heavy doctrine. I can't tell you how many times I've had people read a a, a verse that condemns a false Christian in the Bible. And then they contact me to ask me if that verse was talking about them. And they're trying to figure out if that verse is condemning them. And if they fit that category in that verse. And they're scared to death. And the short and the simple answer to every scary verse in the Bible that condemns people is this. 
If you believe on Christ as your Savior, then the verse you're reading is not condemning you. It is informing you. Simple. God has not appointed the believers in Christ unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says. If you have accepted the love of Jesus' cross for your salvation, that loving message the Holy Ghost has given to us who believe, then you are not the condemned of God. You are, as Jude said, the beloved of God. You are the person the Holy Spirit is writing to, not the person he is writing about. The first note in the alarm, first note, was beloved. The time to determine if you're a child of God is before you read the scary verses. It's to know it at the beginning, not while you're reading the scary verses. God doesn't give us the scary verses to try to figure out if we're Christians He gives us the gospel for that. And those who believe it are the beloved. So the gospel comes first. And then, only after you are settled on the truth of the gospel, you should move forward in the Bible and build on that gospel foundation with books like the book of Jude. And going into those verses, knowing that you are the beloved of God in Jesus Christ because you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you're settled on the good news about what Jesus has done for you, then you won't be afraid of the bad news of what God is going to do to those who do not believe on him. So Jude sounding this alarm, the first note he taps out on that trumpet sound is, Beloved, look back in your text now, when I gave all diligence to write unto you. Jude said, I I gave all diligence to write this letter unto the church. And when he says he gave all diligence, he meant that the church was under attack and the situation at hand was of dire importance. And that being the case, Jude wrote this letter with all diligence, meaning with all eagerness, that he might speedily address the situation and mitigate the damage that the enemy was trying to inflict upon the church. When I gave all diligence, he said, all eagerness. The the, the question we need to ask ourselves is, what was so important that caused Jude to have written this letter in all diligence, as he said? Or let's put it in East Texas terms. What was Jude all up in arms about? That's a good way to put it. What was Jude all up in arms about? He he, he was up in arms concerning the subject. Look back in your text. The subject of the common salvation. That's what he was all up in arms about. Man, in the past, when I've been in, I thank God for my church. I tell you, I thank God for my church. Some Christians in here can can get misled and I've seen I've seen some of y'all post Facebook posts before and I think ah what are they thinking you know you try to come in here and teach different and hopefully it'll stick Christians could get misled but I thank God I'm in a church where by and large everybody is in agreement on the main issues of God's word and they understand the main issues of God's word but I've been in churches in the past where people weren't in agreement 
and where we didn't have strong leadership, and where I have had to take a stand over the issue of our common salvation. And I've had to, 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 to stand up and, and call out false doctrine and take a stand on what the Bible says that we must do to be saved. And in so doing, I have been viewed by other people as a troublemaker. I know there's some watching on video this morning. You've gone through the same thing. As I have. You see when it comes to religion. Church members sometimes don't want to be bothered with the nasty details. (laughs) They really don't. They don't want to be bothered with the details. It's just much easier for us to just come around and just give each other a big group hug. And not bother with those nasty little doctrines. They just get in the way. And and they, they get in between people. And they cause divisions. That's what people think. Just give a group hug and let's all just love Jesus together. It doesn't work that way. It's not real. When it comes to salvation, you better make sure your doctrine is right. It matters what you believe. You see, you can't believe a gospel that you don't understand. Would everyone agree with that? You can't believe something you don't understand because you don't know what it is you're believing. So you can't believe a gospel you don't understand, and you can't be saved by a gospel that you don't believe. I'm going to say that again. You can't believe a gospel that you don't understand, and thus you can't be saved by a gospel that you don't believe. And even if you do understand enough of the gospel to be saved, If you misunderstand some aspect of the gospel, I mean, you're saved, you understand what Christ did for you, you believe on him, but you misunderstand some aspect of the gospel, that misunderstanding will affect you for the rest of your life here on earth. It will. I mean, you may go to heaven like Samson, (laughs) but while you're here on earth, you'll be spiritually weak confused, easily led astray if you're not rightly grounded on the rock of Jesus Christ. If Jude was in the church today, you know what they would do with Jude? They would label him a troublemaker. I promise you they would. They'd label Jude a troublemaker. They'd they'd tell Jude, you need to calm down, man. You can't go around attacking everyone based on what they believe just because they don't think like you. You think everybody's going to hell, Jude. That's what they'd tell them. When Jude called out a false teacher, they would tell them, don't touch the Lord's anointed. Well, that's God's preacher right there. Don't touch that. And the devil would try his best to get into Jude's mind and to dissuade him and to make him out to be the bad guy. But I want you to understand this morning, when he's sounding the alarm, he's giving all diligence, he's all up in arms about something. I want you to understand that Jude is not starting trouble. Jude is not starting trouble. Jude is exposing trouble. There's a difference. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he was exposing some people who were perverting the gospel. And he told the Galatian church in the first chapter, verse 7, He said, there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So the troublemakers are not the people who are telling the truth. They are the people who are perverting the truth. That's the troublemakers. You never make trouble when you tell the truth. You're exposing the trouble 
That's already there. And we too should give all diligence as the saints of God to expose these false teachers uh, to the church and to drive their perverted doctrines afar away from us as God has driven away our sins. Now I want you to notice how Jude described the subject that he was so eagerly defending. He said he gave all diligence to write unto us concerning the, I would underscore the word the, the common salvation. Boy, I tell you what, that's some good doctrine. From beginning to end, Salvation by Jesus Christ is the chief topic of God's word. I'm telling you from Genesis to Revelation. Salvation by Jesus Christ is the chief topic of God's word. And for this reason, Satan wants to distort your understanding of salvation. I want you to take your pants and underscore the word the. And then a little space, underscore the word common common, the common salvation. Now, we're going to pay attention to the word the first. And the word the means only one. Only one. The definitive article. The common salvation. There is not many salvations, Brother Doug. There's the common salvation there is not a salvation for you and a different salvation for me and then a different salvation for everybody else there is only one salvation I don't care what you heard growing up I don't care what preacher passed through your church I don't care what you hear on the radio your salvation is not unique I tell you what one of the things that really get my goat and I, only, I don't have very many goats, but one of the things that get them is when somebody gets up and gives their salvation testimony. And boy, they got a good one. I mean, it's all emotional and ah, I mean, all kinds of dramatic stuff happen. They get up and they give their testimony and then someone out there in the pews thinking, oh man, that didn't happen to me. I wonder if I'm saved. Their salvation is different than mine. Man, I tell you what, a lot of these people that give up and give those big dramatic experiences, they're as lost as they can be, and they're giving those dramatic experiences trying to convince themselves what they're telling you. They are. Been there, done that, watched it happen. Jude says he's writing about the common salvation. And that means there is only one salvation, and thus we all have the same salvation in common people write me all the time telling me i doubt my salvation someone told me that not too long ago and as i was on the phone with them i said well now you understand you can't doubt your salvation without also doubting my salvation you doubt my salvation oh no i don't doubt your salvation well then you can't doubt your salvation without doubting mine And I explained to them that God has given us a common salvation in Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus satisfied God's law on our behalf. He he took its penalty 
paid its penalty. He obeyed all of its demands under the law when he was alive. He paid its penalty when he died. And what Jesus did that day, satisfying the justice of God on my behalf, on the world's behalf, what Jesus did that day was my salvation. It was your salvation. It was the salvation of the entire world. And the person told me, well, I believe that. So I said, then you don't doubt your salvation because that is your salvation. They start thinking their salvation is something that happens to them when they came down here at six years old. Someone wrote me, uh, a, a young lady wrote me this week. I told her to finish reading my, my books and then, then we would talk because her doctrine is so messed up from what she's been exposed to as a child, what, what she was exposed to as a child. I said, finish reading the books because she was reading them at the time. I said, then let me know when you're done and we'll talk. So keep her in your prayers. I can't remember her name, but Mariana, thank you. But she would, she would, she wanted me to to diagnose. Was I saved at ten years old? This is what happened to me. This is what I experienced. This is what I did. Was I saved at ten years old? I didn't want to talk about what happened to her at ten years old. I want her to read the book, and we're going to talk about what happened to Jesus two thousand years ago. That's what we're going to talk about. We're not going to try to figure out what happened 20 or 30 years ago when she was on her knees in church. We're going to try to figure out what happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus was hanging on the cross in her place. That's the common salvation. And the devil wants to get you to, 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 to take your eyes off of Christ and to narrowly focus down on some weird stuff about you and make it all mysterious and, and, and try to get you all confused. He, he wants to get your focus off of Jesus back onto you. But when you look in the King James Bible, you only see the term your salvation one time. One time. And, and here's the neat thing about the King James Bible. And there's one, uh, I, I, there's, there's a lot of updates that King James Bible needs, but there's one thing about that King James Bible that's unlike any other translation. And that is this. It still uses those old English, these, thou's, thine, <laughs> thy. And when you read those, it lets you know if it's talking to the singular person, to the plural person. And your salvation is used only one time in the Bible. And when it's used, it's referring to the good news of your salvation. And your is always plural. It's always plural. And if it was singular, thy salvation, Brother Doug, your salvation, everybody else, you see. And so your salvation, it's plural because it's a common salvation. It's the same salvation for everybody. Jesus accomplished your salvation on the cross. And the King James translation is very helpful when it comes to understanding this because, again, the Old English plural uh, word your is, is used. And so when Paul spoke about the good news of your salvation, he meant the good news of every believer's salvation. And the singular form of you, again, is thy, thy salvation. 
But when the King James Bible says thy salvation, it's referring to God's salvation, not that God was saved, but that he is salvation itself. Salvation is of the Lord. So it's talking about your salvation. It means the common salvation. Thy salvation is the salvation God provides in Christ to all who believe on him. The common salvation is that event in history. When Jesus, the Son of God, was charged with our sin and died in our place as a substitute for us, mark this down. Your salvation is not something personal and mysterious that you have to figure out. Your salvation is something public and made known that you only have to believe. That's it. Not something personal and mysterious you got to Search and check your memory and try to figure out. It's something public and revealed to the world in the gospel message. The good news of what Jesus has done. That's your salvation. And you only have to believe. And concerning this common salvation, Jude said, look back in your text. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you. In other words, Jude said it was necessary for me to write unto you and to urge you. Look back in your text. Urge you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. Earnestly contend for the faith. The faith. The common salvation. You might hear people say, well, he's of another faith. Or we, we need to embrace all faiths. Or, or I saw someone praising Joe Biden the other day. He, was, he and his wife were celebrating some Hindu ritual in the White House. It was all about some, some false god that was born in some city that had some conflict and overcame the conflict. And, and so they were celebrating this God that overcame the conflict so many years ago that was born. Well, who were his parents? And who were they born from? My goodness, that gets messy, doesn't it? I'm so glad our God wasn't born from anybody. Well, then we'd be needing to worship his parents. And then who would they come from? And my goodness, you don't even know who God is anymore. There's only one faith. Jude said the faith. God recognizes one faith because God has only given one salvation. The faith, the common salvation. When Jude says the faith, the word faith there, he's talking about the truth, that that body of doctrines, that collection of, of truths that's been declared to us in the gospel message. And he says that we should earnestly contend for it. And earnestly contend. To contend, sometimes in a boxing match, one of the fighters is called a what? A contender. I can just picture Brother Doug. I could have been a contender. could picture him saying that. <laughs> Older people will get that. So, so they'll be called a contender because they're a, they're a fighter. And the Greek word translated earnestly contend, it means to struggle. To struggle. And boy, is it a struggle to defend the gospel. Why? Because there's always somebody out there ready to tamper with it. Always. They won't take their meddling, corrupt fingers off of it. They've got to tamper with the gospel. 
Man, I don't like to fight. I don't. I don't like to fight. But church, there are some things that are worth fighting for. And the message that gives man eternal life is worth fighting for to our death. If we don't stand for the truth of Jesus Christ, then nobody will. We're the church. It's been handed down to us, and we better stand and fight for it because the truth has fallen in the streets like the Old Testament says. People have left the truth. And I got a magazine in the mail yesterday. I think it was addressed to Tammy. You know, you get on some mailing list or something. Oh, my goodness, I hate junk mail, but we got this magazine in the mail. And before I put it in Tammy's pile i'll have my pile which is always bills i have tammy's pile which is always cards from home and sell circulars and fun stuff and so before i put it in tammy's pile i always check to see if it needs to go in the trash pile first so i opened up the magazine and it was a fashion magazine to sell you clothing i got some gown there the men they make out doing the women's chores he's got on a rainbow uh, uh, bandana around his his forehead, and he's chopping vegetables in the kitchen. And they got some big old woman up here, and she's posing like this with her fashion on. And I, I think it was a woman. I'm not sure because she was a transgender advocate. That's what it said under there. It was just pure wickedness. Everyone was clothed well. But it was just nothing but wickedness. And I had the pleasure of taking that and dropping it in the recycling bin. Truth has fallen in the streets. Nobody knows what truth is anymore. I don't want to give group hugs out in church. I want to preach the truth of Jesus Christ and let that sharp sword fall where it will. And if it cuts somebody, so be it. But let it divide light from darkness. God divided light from darkness in the very beginning. And it's up to us to divide light from darkness today. Jude is sounding the alarm. The truth has been given us to the church. And it's up to us to preserve it. And that we might pass it down to the next generation. Jude sound the alarm for us this morning. He's warning us that we should fight hard to preserve the gospel message. Look back in your text. The gospel message, which was how many times delivered to the saints? Once delivered unto the saints. Once You know what that means, church? That means it'll never be delivered to the saints again. One time. If you have a modern translation this morning, yours might say, which was once for all delivered unto the saints. And if God handed the gospel down to us one time, then that means this message he gave us must endure for all time. God didn't deliver the faith of Christ to us once 
only to deliver it to us again in, a, in, in another form a, a, a century later, a few years later, and then, a, and then again and again, and with an added twist to the gospel message, a little extra information here and there as we go. No, he delivered the good news of Jesus Christ, of what he accomplished on the cross, the same number of times that Jesus accomplished it. I'm going to say it again. God delivered the good news of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, the same number of times he accomplished it. Once. Once for all. First Peter chapter 3 verse 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Jesus Christ will never die again, so the gospel will never be delivered again. It is impossible to change the work of Jesus Christ, so it's impossible to change the news of Jesus Christ. It must endure. We must fight for its purity. So don't preach some cheap, modern, mysterious message of salvation to me. Don't come and tell me I need to come down to an altar. Don't tell me I've got to ask Jesus to come into my heart. Don't lecture me on baptismal regeneration and the necessity of my own good works to be saved. Because my ears, for my ears, they want to hear nothing but the fact of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Tell me the message that Paul preached to the Galatians, which if any man preach any other message, he shall be accursed. Tell me what Jesus did once for all, and I shall believe it for all time. And with that, I want to close, and I haven't done this in a long time, but I want to close with some poetry I wrote to reduce the message down to a poem. Once for sins, my Savior did suffer. Once from death he rose from the grave. Once he sat in heaven to plead the common salvation that's mighty to save. Once he delivered this faith to the church. Once someone told that message to me. Once I believed the message I heard, the news of the cross that set me free. By faith I shall have a victorious end. By duty, therefore, I must rise to defend the sacrifice that Christ freely offered, thus the message I heard ever be altered. And with that, we'll go ahead and stand for the word of prayer and be dismissed. And Lord willing, as we move into verse 4 next week, we are going to begin to expose the filthy, dirty lies in the people who tell them. Those who can't keep their fingers off the precious news of Jesus Christ. We can close with a word of prayer. Who has a microphone? Brother Shepherd, will you close us in prayer? Thank you. Father, we're so thankful for the truth that's been preached today. And Lord, we thank you that your word does divide light from darkness. And that as your people are steeped in the doctrines of the Word of God, that we would also be able to do that. And Father, I pray that as we go from this place, we would take this pure doctrine of the gospel of Jesus that has saved us and tell others about it, that they also may be saved. In Jesus' name.